Matthew chapter 16, we begin reading verse 20. Then charged he, of course referring to Jesus, his disciples, that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must, everybody say he must, go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. He was up in the Galilee area where he spent the bulk of his ministry, but he knew he had to go to Jerusalem. And he said, now is the time. We must go to Jerusalem. And the struggles that would ensue, the mocking, the cursing, all that would be a part of Jerusalem calleth. Jerusalem calleth. And we would say probably that it began when he was baptized, where most tourists go when they want to be baptized in the Jordan River in such a way that it's very comfortable for people. Something that's very enjoyable if you go to the Holy Land, but I just could not be visited because of the mines that were still out there in the area there. And uh, it's a beautiful area down in the south where they do believe. It's close to where Jesus was baptized of John the Baptist, a little amphitheater there now where you can sit and teach and, and the river is there, but it's quite small, it's quite narrow. And Jordan is just there on the other side. And the Jordan troops are right there on the other side. I mean, literally from here to the sound booth. You can see an uh, area that um, the, the children of Israel came over uh, the Jordan River as they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And now they were coming into this Palestine, stepped into it. They just, the Bible said Moses told the children of Israel, stand still and see the salvation of God. And so the, the Red Sea opened up and they went over uh, on the Lord tells the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant, bear it on their shoulders, to step into the... says, I need you to step out in faith and dry ground, as they had 40 years earlier in the Red Sea. But this time they wanted to build a monument. They put stones that were there, and they built over into their promise after 40 years in the wilderness. And so they, that area where they came over is a similar ox, uh, that where he was baptized, that, that uh, if the Jews were to reject uh, the gospel that uh, he has... Uh, uh, people, Gentiles, you and I, that uh, could receive the gospel and refer to that as, as uh, these rocks. And so there was that indication that, yes, we marked this spot where God brought the Jews into the Palestine area, but now the ministry of Jesus was going to extend beyond that. And so uh, John, was bap John baptized Jesus there, and, and then Jesus goes over, as you know, into the wilderness, and he's on that 40-day fast, and he's tempted of Satan for 40 years in the wilderness, and and it appeared that Jesus' ministry would be in the Jerusalem area. But shortly after, uh, John the Baptist was, was arrested by Herod Antipatus. Herod Antipatus was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great, of course, was uh, the uh, uh, half-crazy, half-genius king of uh, the Palestinians, uh, the, the, the Israel, the king of the Jews, whatever. He was King Herod that put out the decree, uh, you know, that the male child would all be killed because he was fearful of this uh, prophecy of Jesus being born. So when Jesus was born, Herod the Great was king, and now he had died, and Herod Antipatus, his son, uh, reigned in his uh, stead. And now he um, brings John the Baptist in and arrests him. Now he says he does this to protect him, and perhaps Herod Antipatus did feel that way because there was some uh, historical accounts that he believed that John the Baptist was a prophet and a holy man. But John the Baptist had declared to Herod Antipatus that he should not be married to the woman he was married to because she had been married to his brother. Philip, I believe, was his name. And, uh, of course, um, 
Uh, Herod being the king didn't take very kindly to that and his wife certainly didn't take very kindly to it and, and so she was determined that she would uh, see John the Baptist killed and so uh, one day when they're having a big feast and they're all drunk and they got all kinds of food and they got all their friends and, and uh, you know as the debauchery goes it keeps getting worse and worse and so uh, Herod Antipodes calls for his stepdaughter to come and dance before him and his buddies and the lords and all and so she does and it pleases him and he he says, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom, you know, in his drunken stupor. He didn't even probably know what he was saying. But he said, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom because you pleased me and my friends. And so she goes and talks to her mom. And her mom says, tell him that you want John the Baptist's head on a plate. And so she says, okay. So she goes back in there. And before him and all of his buddies, he, she says, I would like to have John the Baptist's head on a plate. Well, John the Baptist then being called out in front of all of his friends and the lords and his cabinet members and all that had to follow through with it and so he did behead John the Baptist well after this happened there was quite a bit of fear that went around the Jerusalem area um, and as you can imagine Jesus then uh, goes up into the Galilee area uh, up in the north and there were three cities and it was a triangular area that a lot of his ministry was Capernaum and Bethany and Bethsaida and Cana and this area that a lot of his miracles a lot of his teaching even the shores of the Sea of Galilee is creates like a natural amphitheater and he could speak and thousands of people could hear what he says and of course he fed the crowd and so Galilee uh, becomes this incredible area where he calls his disciples and and it, it, Galilee represented faith because of the vast majority of his miracles happened in the Galilee area. And if Galilee represented faith, then Jerusalem represented fear because of what was happening in Jerusalem. Jerusalem not only was the seat of Herod Antipodes and the Roman governor, but it was also the headquarters of the Sanhedrin and the high priest and those that were adamantly opposed to the ministry of Jesus. So he was in Galilee, and in Galilee, he begins to establish his ministry. And of course, the disciples, and he's teaching multitudes, he's healing the sick. But yet, in his heart, Jesus yearned to go back to Jerusalem. And if you fast forward to Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, Jesus tells his followers that they're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit, as we saw demonstrated last weekend, the power of the Holy Spirit is not just for us to, you know, feel the presence of God and get goosebumps. It's power to be witnesses. And it's not like something that's optional, but it's mandated upon the church. And he told his followers in Acts chapter 1 that they should, they should be witnesses unto uh, him in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Now we recognize that if I can walk it backwards. We recognize that the uttermost part of the earth is our commitment to global missions. And we are highly committed to global missions as a church. And we have been of our organization of some 5,000 churches. Last year we were the number nine giving church in all of North America, giving uh, $235,000 to global missions. And God has blessed us because of that. And we don't only give, we pray and we go and we're connected with our, our foreign missionaries. And we should still do that because if there's ever been a time that our global missionaries need our prayers, it's during this pandemic when many congregations cannot meet and many missionaries, uh, governments have shut them down and yet they're still trying to keep their budget and stay on the field. And so we are committed to them 
through this pandemic. And not only have we continued our commitment, we have increased our commitment and we're going to continue to do so. So we are reaching the uttermost part of the earth as a local congregation. And then our Samaria. Our Samaria is our special needs ministry. In, in Samaria, the Jews, many times when they would go up to the Galilee area from Jerusalem, they would walk way around Samaria. They wouldn't even go through Samaria. Samaritans were considered unclean. They were half Jew, half Gentile. Their area had been invaded by foreign uh, countries and the people had intermingled and so forth. And so the Jews really looked down their nose at Samaria like they were, you know, sort of, uh, you know, those that necess weren't necessarily pure Jews and they wouldn't even walk through them. But I love that Jesus went, the Bible said, he said, must needs go to Samaria. He went right down into the middle of Samaria and sat on the well, which was the center of the city and had that great conversation with the lady down there in Samaria because God robed in flesh, hallelujah, wanted to declare that this gospel is for every man, woman, boy, and girl, regardless of where you're from, what your socioeconomic level is, the color of your skin, your, your education, it doesn't matter. God, hallelujah, came to save everybody. And so our Samaria is our special needs ministry, like the prison ministry that Brother Jeff Blackman and Brother Scott and so many of the others do such a great job. It's opened back up now. We go to Orlando, that prison ministry that's involved. Our Hands for Healing ministry, where we feed some 1,500 people a week. That's part of our Samaria ministry. Our deaf ministry that continues to grow. I'm telling you, I think they've doubled in the last three months. Look at all of them. Isn't that awesome? They're taking over. I love it. I think they're growing more than any other ministry right there. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for this gospel that reaches everybody. It doesn't matter where you're from. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost is for everyone. And so our Samaria ministries are growing leaps and bounds. And our Judea area is the area where we try to help start churches in America. And it's where we give to our state through district needs like children's ministries and youth ministries and Christmas for Christ and ladies' ministries and North American missions and Two Below Children's Mansion and Lighthouse Ranch for Boys. And it goes on and on and on and on. But it's part of us reaching our America. I believe more than anything in America right now, there's a need for churches in metro cities, in large cities, we got to reach urban areas with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why back in January, we gave the second largest offering of any of our churches in our organization in the state of Florida to home missions to help start churches. Because guess what we found? As we give and bless others, God blesses us. Amen? We're just a conduit that the Spirit of God can move through. We believe the word of God, that we are supposed to reach the uttermost part of the earth, that we are supposed to reach Samaria, and we are supposed to reach uh, Judea. But then comes Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is our immediate area. It is our Palm Bay and our Melbourne. That's our Jerusalem. And the Lord said to be witnesses in Jerusalem. The Lord gave us clear instructions at the first of the year to reach for our Jerusalem, our area, our city. That's one reason that we did the Palm Bay outpouring, because we're trying to reach our Jerusalem. Because I believe with all of my heart that our Jerusalem is calling. Our city is calling. America is hungry. If nothing else, this pandemic has woke people up and they realize 
that their whole world can change in a 24-hour period, that every day is a gift and nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. I'm thankful that we've got a country that knows who Jesus is, but I believe we've got a country that's hungry to feel Jesus and to have that Spirit of God residing on the inside of them. I stand here before you today and tell you that our Jerusalem is calling. It's calling for apostolic Pentecostals that have been bought by the blood of Jesus, baptized in his name and filled with his spirit to take the gospel to the highways and byways. As Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, he revealed how we can reach our Jerusalem. We follow this journey now in Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee. Now he's going to make his way. He's declared to his followers that I must go to Jerusalem. Now he begins that journey. And of course, they didn't get in a car and drive down to you know, Jerusalem or get on a bus like we would and be there in a few hours. It was a, it was a journey. It was by foot. And so... It would take a considerable amount of time as they would walk. And, and he departed from Galilee, the Bible says, and he came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. So this is the first area. He crosses over Jordan. He's going down Judea, which is more of the wilderness side. It's on the east side of the Jordan River, and he's coming down. And this is where uh, he begins. The Bible says he begins to heal. People followed him. He was healing even over in the Judean desert, and the coasts of Judea that were beyond Jordan or on the other side of Jordan. And it's here that Jesus uh, begins to heal people. Of course, the Pharisees all showed up. They were always tracking him and trying to trick him and trying to catch him in his speech. They, you would think they would celebrate everybody being healed. But instead, they were trying to find ways to trap him. And so they started questioning him about divorce. And the Bible says he had healed many on the way. But the Pharisees were trying to nitpick Jesus. They were trying to trap him. And he responds to the Pharisees in such a way that he also responds to his disciples. And it's the same way he responds to the Pharisees concerning questions of divorce and Moses and a bill of divorcement. And he responds to them the same way that he responds to his disciples because uh, shortly after the Pharisees in question, the disciples uh, try to shoo away all the children and try to get all the children to uh, sort of uh, shoo away as they had uh, brought them around Jesus as he was teaching and healing and and uh, some of the disciples said no 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 and pushed the kids away and the Lord stopped them from pushing the children aside and said oh no 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 bring them to me this is something I've seen even in my travels when we were in Uganda doing a look down on the on the field at all of these children their heads were all shaved and you could see their eyes were all dim as the parasites would eat out the eye the irises of their eyeball and and the, and, the, and the heads had tracks, worm tracks, uh, going through like exposed veins on their head. And, and I looked down at all of these kids, and the missionary said, if you come back next year, half of these children will be dead. You're an old, old man if you reach 35, 40 years old in the region that we were in up by Lake Victoria of Uganda. And so as we begin to talk to them about Jesus, I, I begin to notice that as the kids would come forward, that the adults would push them away and and we had to stop them from doing that. But in that culture where kids are sort of disposable, where 11-year-old girls are, are, are got babies on their backs and they're raising uh, two-year-olds. And so there's this culture that is so uh, in need of Jesus and the kids are so hungry and they just flood the altars and, and the adults would push them away. And we had to get out there and stop them and say, no, 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 no. Don't stop. Have the children come up. They're, they're important. And this is what Jesus did. We have the example of that. I'm so thankful for our Sunday school teachers that have been here all morning 
to prepare so you could come and bring your kids and you could know that they're being preached. I'm going to tell you what, folks. A child being told the gospel of Jesus Christ is just as important as an adult being told about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for every man, woman, boy, and girl. And so Jesus tells the Pharisees about divorce and he talks to, to the disciples about the children and all of it is the same message. And here's what this message is. You can't win Jerusalem by pushing people away. I'm going to say this again. You can't win Jerusalem by pushing people away. If you're going to reach your Jerusalem, you've got to reach for people that don't look like you do, don't act like you do, don't talk like we do. You're going to reach some people that you may not understand where they're coming from and they don't look anything like you, but you can only judge them by the outside. The Bible said, God knoweth the heart. Hallelujah. And I'm convinced that people are hungry for God regardless of the pain and the abuse and the mistakes of their life. There is a God that loved them, that died for them. And if we're going to reach Jerusalem, we're going to have to love people. Oh, Jesus. I say to you today, I'm convinced our God can save anybody of anything. There's no lifestyle that God can't deliver from. There's no addiction that God can't deliver from. Our God can save anybody, heal anybody of anything at any time. I love being on that football field because we saw a bunch of people that we don't normally see on any given Sunday. That's what the church is supposed to be. If we just stay in these four walls, the devil's fine letting us have our little service and letting us have our little time. But when you start getting out there and taking new territory, you're going to stir up spirits. When you get out there and start witnessing at Walmart, you're going to stir up some spirits. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jerusalem is calling for the apostolic Pentecostals, hallelujah, to come out of their concaves and to get into the highways and the byways. Jerusalem requires that you get rid of any prejudice or hang-up about who can be saved. The next thing that happened as he's in this beyond Jordan and Judea area is that he encounters the rich young ruler. And Jesus did not intend to push away the rich young ruler, but he gave him a choice and the man walked away. So the message is for each of us on our way to Jerusalem. You don't turn folks away, but not everybody is going to follow Jesus. Because you have to make a choice when you decide to follow Jesus. Some folks on the way to Jerusalem just simply love the world more than they love Jesus. But you can't stop that from letting you love people and reaching for people and going to Jerusalem. You can't let that stop you from saying, Lord, I'm going to lift you up. And you've got to love the Lord more than you love people. You've got to love the Lord more than you love people. You say, we love everybody. We do, but I can't sacrifice my relationship with God to appease you. I'm going to love you, but I'm going to have to speak the truth in love. So I can't sacrifice biblical principles to appease people. You've got to say, Lord, I love you, and you're a holy God, and you're a righteous God, so I love the Lord more. Now, the Lord didn't push away the rich young ruler, but he said, if you want to be saved, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Now, why is that? It was a test of what he loved the most. It was what he loved the most, and he realized that this man loved his possessions. If you love your possessions more than you do biblical principles, then you're not going to be saved. 
you got to love biblical principles more than people or possessions. That's what Jesus modeled on the way to Jerusalem. He said, we're not going to turn anybody away, but we are going to be honest with them and say, you got to make a choice. Lovest thou me more than these? you got to decide what you love. And if you say, Lord, I love you, I'm going to reach for everybody I can, but I'm going to stay on the rock myself. I said, I'm going to reach for everybody I can, because if we go to Jerusalem, we got to love people, but we've also got to love him and stay connected to him and say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. So because Jesus modeled this on the way to Jerusalem, they have a lot of time on their hands because they're talking and walking. And Peter says, you know, well, since we're talking about it, and the rich young ruler turned away. He did, the Lord didn't turn him away, but the Bible said he turned away sorrowfully. The Lord don't, the church doesn't turn away, but people turn away. But we're going to still love everybody. All we got to do is just find somebody that's got an open heart. You know, whenever he gave the parable about the, the sower and the seed, he said he went forth and he talked about the good ground and the stony ground and the thorn ground. Only 25% of it fell on good ground. But guess what? All God needs is somebody with an open heart and an open mind. And so Peter is thinking about this as they're walking. He's thinking about what happened with the rich young ruler and, and the Lord's giving them some lessons on what's really important and the last shall be first and so forth. And, and Peter says, uh, Lord, we've, we've, uh, we've all given up everything to follow you. What, what's our reward? You know, now that we think about it, you know, we, we, uh, we've given everything up. That's what Jerusalem will do. It'll make you question the journey and to see whether or not it's worth the sacrifice. Is the ride worth the fare? When you start going to Jerusalem, you're going to look at it and say, wait a second. Now, I followed you, Lord. What about us? And I love what the Lord said. Jesus said, you will receive a hundredfold and inherit everlasting life. Now, I want to ask you, is there anything that gives a better return than Jesus? You can invest in Wall Street. It may help you out. It may not. But it can't do anything for you after you die. You, you, you can get a life insurance policy that may cost you a little bit per month on a premium and it may take care of your heirs after you're gone. But is there anything that returns to you a hundredfold, a hundred percent interest on this earth and then you inherit everlasting life? I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is the best deal goal. <laughs> if you just want to look at it from a business standpoint, you can't get any better than saying, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Let me decrease so that you will increase. You've given me so much, God. You don't have to bless me not one more time. I'm going to worship you anyhow because you are the mighty God and you are great and greatly to be praised. You're going to be blessed here and there. People that are soul winners, people that are Bible study teachers, altar workers, they're rewarded here and now, but they're also going to be rewarded then and there. It's a twofold blessing. The Bible talks about it, how we're going to be rewarded based on who all we want to the Lord, stars in our crown as we get to heaven. But oh, there's such a joy now. There's this whole splashover effect. I had the opportunity to be down in Fort Lauderdale uh, on Tuesday night, their midweek service there with Pastor Elms and some of the people that were with us in the crusade last weekend. And and some of them that were singing on Friday and Saturday night and, and then working the altars on Sunday. They were all excited. A lot of them college career age, young people. And uh, as we were down there 
and they were all testifying and talking about what a great time they had in the, in the Palm Bay outpouring. And uh, they began to talk about what a joy it was when they uh, prayed for uh, Brother Mars and uh, the great things that happened as he stood up and then walked around and that expression that was on his face. And they took a video of that and they put it on social media and over 50,000 people have seen it, Brother Mars. Isn't that amazing? 50,000. But they were talking about, they were like telling how they were praying for him and telling them how they, the Holy Ghost moved and what all had happened and they were sharing. And I got to thinking about the joy that happens whenever you're praying with somebody and they get the Holy Ghost or you're praying with somebody and they get a healing. There's a splashover effect to that. You get rewarded, not just in heaven, you get rewarded here. God's not going to be mocked. You know what that means? That means you can't live like the devil and expect the Lord to give you lots of blessings. That's true. But the flip side is also true. And that means you can't sacrifice without God blessing you. Because God's not going to be mocked. He's not going to allow an evil spirit to say, that person has sacrificed. That person has been faithful. That person has done everything the word of God said. And you've not blessed him. He's not going to be mocked. He's going to find a way to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. That's the kind of God we serve. People. People. We're in the people business. All kinds. Tall, short, fat, skinny. It doesn't matter what you look like, where you came from. If you're a living, breathing soul, Jesus Christ died for your sins. And there's room at the cross for you. Next stop is Matthew 20 in Jericho. Jesus takes them, the 12, aside. And he then tells them what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Now, he takes his 12, the disciples, those that are closest to him. He begins to share with them again what all is going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to give my life. There's going to be a crucifixion and so forth. He goes through it all, but don't, don't worry. In three days, I'll rise again. And he tells them, shares it all with them. And if the first stop in Judea was about people, this next stop in Jericho is about position. Position. Because Mary Salome, who is the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, this is not to be confused with Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary Magdalene, or three Marys that you read about a lot in the, in the Gospels. But Mary Salome was the mother of James and John. She asked Jesus if her two sons can both be with the Lord for eternity, one on the left and one on the right. So she definitely believed what was being said, that this was it, that his ministry was wrapping up, and she started immediately trying to position her sons for the afterlife. She wants her sons to be in the premier position since the life of Jesus is going to be coming to a close. And she believed and she knew there, that he was God manifest in the flesh. And, and even as you read through this, the other 10 disciples are not happy about these two jockeying for position and their mother interceding for them. And, and she starts to say, you know, James and John, can one be on your right and one on your left? And Jesus is like, you know not, Mary, what you ask of. You don't know the price that has to be paid. You don't know what's going And I can see the other disciples just rolling their eyes. Oh, brother, what is with these two? You know, and Jesus had to give them a lesson on teamwork. There's no big eyes and there's no little use. And that's true. When you go to Jerusalem and you start reaching for the lost, uh, there's no big eyes and little use. When we went into China, we went into those underground churches in China. There was no all these different denominations. Uh, it was Christianity or communism. 
And all we did was tell them about the Holy Ghost and 100%, it wasn't like 20% of the people came to the altar. 100% of the people came to the altar and 100% of them were filled with the Holy Ghost. Everybody that was in the room was filled with the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because they had spent over two hours and risked their life and their family to get to that apostolic environment. And when they got there, the Lord met them there and filled them with the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, when you start reaching your Jerusalem, hallelujah, you put all these other things aside. It's not about big I, little you. It's not about what's your position. It's all about, hey, we've got a city to win. And if we together as a church body, everybody on the same team saying, let's win our city. That's how Jerusalem will be won, Matthew 20, 26, but it shall not be so among you. Jesus now begins to teach, but whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. And right on the heels of this is the blind man that begins to cry out from the wayside as they come into Jericho. Now Matthew, he uh, describes it as two blind men sitting on the wayside, begin to cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. So as Jesus is teaching his disciples about this and dealing with Mary and then James and John and the other disciples as they're coming into Jericho, this blind man or more than one began to cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy. And now to illustrate the principles that he was teaching, he stops and he calls for the blind man or the blind men to come and he now begins to uh, stop everything to heal them in Jericho. And as he heals them, he is illustrating to them, these people that were on the wayside, the ones that were not even allowed to beg on the main street, they had to call out from the side street. How many of you ever been on the side street and you had to call out, but Jesus heard your cry? Oh, you weren't on the main boulevard of Christianity, but you were on a side. You were on the wayside, but Jesus heard your cry. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And stopped everything because somebody was hungry. I'm going to tell you what, God will jump over a whole, a whole crowd of self-righteous hypocrites to find one hungry heart that will call out, cry out, and say, Jesus, I don't deserve your blessings. I don't deserve your spirit, but I hunger for it. Oh, my friend, he'll stop everything, and he will reach for you because it doesn't matter who's sitting where. That's not what's important when Jerusalem calls. It's all about the needs of lost souls. And God is calling Eastwind and the Eastwind church family to reach our Jerusalem with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, oh, but I'm not the pastor. I don't have an official license. You don't have to. All you got to do is have a testimony. Jesus saved me. I'm going to tell you what, that crowd in Jerusalem didn't ever accept Paul. Nobody had an ordination service for Paul. He couldn't even go to Jerusalem. But guess what? He was so uncomfortable there that he just went into all the world preaching the gospel. Guess what he did have? He had a testimony. Hey, O king, let me tell you about what happened to me. I was one of the Pharisees that was in Jerusalem. I was one of the ones that were there pointing the finger at Jesus. I was the one that was getting all permission to haul away the Christians and put them in jail and put them in prison. But oh, I had a visitation on the road to Damascus. Is there anybody in this house that said, I, I may not have the Pentecostal pedigree, but I had a visitation. The Lord touched me. Ah! 
down the wrong road, headed in the wrong direction with a bad attitude. But Jesus came. But Jesus came. All you need is a testimony to reach Jerusalem. Then as they get to Bethpage in Matthew 21, which is near the Mount of Olives, they can see Jerusalem now just across the valley. They're on the outskirts of the city. Jesus sends two of his disciples, probably James and John, to teach him a lesson, to get a donkey for him to ride on in a colt. Doesn't say who, it just says there's two of them. Because why does Jesus want, is Jesus tired from walking? No. Jesus is making sure scripture is fulfilled. Matthew 21, 5, tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon a donkey and a colt, the foil of a donkey. This was the way that it was prophesied that the king would come in. They knew, they knew that Jesus knew that. And the people in the city hear that Jesus is near and they begin to line the streets with their garments. Verse eight says, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and, and strong them in the way and the multitude that went before and that followed. I mean, as Jesus comes down into Jerusalem now, down through the valley from the Mount of Olives, coming up into Jerusalem and there's people before him and people behind him. And the Bible says they're all crying and they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. These are the people in Jerusalem that are worshiping him. These are the ones who for the most part had not been privy to all the teaching of Jesus. They didn't have a front row seat to his healing the sick. Instead, they got to see Jesus cast out the money changers in the temple. They got to see Jesus curse the fig tree. They saw the side of Jesus that if you weren't hungry for God, it would have given you an excuse not to be a follower. But if anybody, if anybody had a right not to praise the Messiah, it would have been the folks in Jerusalem. They had been brainwashed by the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees about how evil Jesus was and how he was blaspheming and all of this. And if anybody had a right to not worship him, it would have been the folks of Jerusalem. But ladies and gentlemen, there was a third lesson to learn. As they made their way to Jerusalem, it's not just people and it's not just understanding that position is insignificant when it comes to reaching Jerusalem. But now they get a revelation of praise. We've moved from people to position to praise. There's something about the praise of these folks in Jerusalem. There's something about the praise of new converts. There's something about the praise of people when they first get saved. I hope we don't ever graduate to sophistication and lose the pleasure and the joy of unadulterated praise that said, I have come for one reason. I've not come to be seen or to see. I've not come for some dog and pony fashion show. I've come with one motive, and that is to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that in me is. Oh, there's something special about the people in Jerusalem that praise him. I remember, I remember preaching a revival in Southern California and in the middle of the service, you guys remember Hell's Angels, the motorcycle gang? A whole bunch of them came in and all of them tattooed up and vests and big, and they all, about 10 or 12 of them, they all came in and came right down and sat on the front row. 
And they all just stared at me like that with their arms crossed. And I was this young evangelist talking about Jesus, Jesus. And they're all looking at me like they were going to take my life any moment. Hell's angels sitting there staring me down. I mean, I'm about 10 or 12 feet from them. Woo, I just kept preaching about Jesus. Jesus is great. Jesus is wonderful. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus can save your soul. And before long, I started looking and a couple of them were crying. I could see tears coming down out of their eyes. And then before long, I seen them move out of their seat and come to the altar. And then some of the others followed them. And before the service was over, about seven of them had received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But they didn't stop there. They begin to worship. They begin to do a victory lap around the church. Hell's angels, not on their motorcycle. They were in the house of God. God, and they were saying, bless the Lord, because when the people of Jerusalem get a revelation, Jesus is here. This is our King. This is our Messiah. This is what we have been looking for. Ha <laughs> Even though... Jerusalem was under the tyranny of the temple guard. They couldn't stop their praise. He was at the descent of the Mount of Olives when the Pharisees tried to stop the people from praising the Lord. They appealed to Jesus. You've got to stop them. They're committing blasphemy. Jesus said if they hold their peace, the rocks will cry out. If they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. The Bible said he was at the descent of the Mount of Olives. That's where they built the Tabernacle of David. The Tabernacle of David had been built for the purpose of praising God. It had been built for the purpose of worshiping God. As David had a revelation of what it was to worship God, Jehovah God. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Nisi. He knew what it was to praise God, even though he was just a shepherd boy. God wasn't worried about position. He just worried about somebody that could praise him. Even if you're just a shepherd boy, you're on the backside of the pasture land dealing with sheep manure. If you've got a heart to praise God, God will find you where you are and put a crown on your head. He wanted to build a temple and the Lord said, you've had to be a man of battle. There's blood on your hands. Your son will. But that didn't stop David from building a tabernacle of praise. He built it at the descent of the Mount of Olives. And the stones uh, over a period of time uh, had been fallen down. And the building fell down. And it was scattered all around that area. But those rocks were still reverberating with the praise that they had been designed to hold. And so the tabernacle of David being a tabernacle of praise, though the rocks were not standing on top of each other, there was coming a resurrection of praise. And Jesus knew where he was. And he he said, if these that are living, breathing souls don't praise me, then the very rocks will cry out. Oh, my friend, if everybody on this earth stops praising God, God has already got a prayer team, a praise team, and a choir that's in the grave. That's why the Bible said when he comes back, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Why do they get to go first? Because they have been laid to rest, but the praise does not have a statute of limitations. It's reverberating in the very ground that we stand on. And one day in that great getting up morning, when the dead in Christ shall rise first, this entire earth We'll praise him. Or you ought to praise God right now. You ought to lift up your voice with a shout of triumph. For he is mighty. 
Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. I got news for you. You and I were created to praise him. Those rocks may have fallen down over the course of time. The cares of life may have stopped your praise. But there's a resurrection of praise coming. Amos 9:11 says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that's fallen, and I will close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. Oh, yes, my friend, the tabernacle of David is going to be rebuilt, but it's not with mortar and it's not with drywall. It's with you and I as living, breathing vessels of the Holy Ghost. The Bible said, fiddly, joined together. We are the stones and the rocks that have a voice that can praise him. You can stand to your feet. I'm coming to a close. I love that it's Amos 9.11. The reference is Amos 9.11. Later on in Acts, it refers back to that prophecy from Amos. But I love that it's the reference of the tabernacle of David being rebuilt is 9.11. Because we also had a 9.11. Our twin towers that represented freedom came down. But there was a resurrection of freedom. There was a revival of freedom. And the tower they built in the same place where the twin towers were built is a place that they called Freedom One. Every time you worship God in spite of the difficulties... You are raising up the tabernacle of praise. Praise one. (laughs) I got my own 9-11. And when the devil flies planes into your life and tries to steal your joy and hits you with sickness and hits you with cancer and hits you with financial difficulty, you say, I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow because he's great and greatly to be praised. You know what you're doing? You're rebuilding. You're praise one. You've made him a priority. I don't care what you take from me, devil. Like Job, I will rise again. One testimony at a time. One Bible study at a time. We rebuild the tabernacle of David. One shout of triumph at a time. This praise is not in Galilee, it's in Jerusalem. It's in the mouth of those that have been rejected. It's in the mouth of those who were in the grip of sin and false doctrine, the stronghold of pain and sorrow. But Jesus came. He heeded the call to go to Jerusalem rhetorical question that I present to you today is what will you do? Will you go? In short order, they will go to a room that's attached to the house of a believer and there Jesus will have supper with them. He will tell them that this bread is his body 
that will be broken, he will tell them that this drink represents the blood that will flow, and then he tells them to do it on a continual basis in remembrance. That when you drink and eat in the same manner, do it in remembrance of me. And so we know, we know this to be communion. And we're going to partake of this in just a moment. When Jesus came into town and the multitude worshiped him, many in the city did not know him. And Matthew records that many in the city asked, who is this? Yes, there were some followers that threw their coats down, but for the bulk of the city, that had not been exposed to the ministry of Jesus. They said, who is this? Multitude told them that this was Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Ladies and gentlemen, they may not have known him at this point when he rides triumphantly on this little donkey into the city of Jerusalem. But in just a few days, everyone would know that Jesus was crucified on the hill Golgotha, the skull. No one in the city could deny what they had seen. A man loved by the multitude, hated by the Sanhedrin, mocked by the Romans, would lay down his life the sky would turn black. The rocks would split in two. Pilate could not wash his blood from his hands. No one in Jerusalem was blind or unaware of the great sacrifice that this man, Jesus Christ, paid. Everyone saw the sacrifice. Ladies and gentlemen, one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. That Jesus is Lord. You say, Pastor, I've lived in Jerusalem for a long time. The question is, what will you do with this Jesus? Just a few years later, Paul is testifying to King Agrippa and the Roman governor Festus. And he says, oh, King, you know the things that I speak of for. This was not done in a corner. Even the kings, even the governors knew what had taken place in Jerusalem. Everybody knew. Ladies and gentlemen, our Jerusalem knows the name of Jesus. We know. But what will we do with what we know? Will we get under the burden for the lost souls that Jesus died for? Or will we wash his words from our ears and his blood from our hands? The choice is yours. And the choice is mine. But I believe... And just as Joseph Artemis got up under that cross, I believe that there are people that are here that will say, Jesus, we hear Jerusalem calling too. And we'll not turn a deaf ear to the sacrifice, the persecution, to the uncomfortable atmospheres that are created when a believer witnesses to an unbeliever. Come on, I'm going to get up under that cross with you. We're going to take the gospel to Jerusalem. If you're willing to take the gospel to Jerusalem and you want to take part of this communion, I ask that you would step out from where you're standing and come down to this altar. Together. Together. We will receive this communion and pay the price by being associated with the price that he paid. Some of you are 
not comfortable coming down to the altar. You want to receive communion in your pew? More than welcome to do that. Ushers will come to you or we'll have ushers in the back that you can take the communion from. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Oh, I feel Jesus coming near. He said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. I begin to remember him, think about him in preparation for this service. It seemed like the Lord just kept drawing me to Jerusalem. Oh, how he loved Jerusalem. He wept over Jerusalem. Oh, he said, I would have loved to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. Yet they would not hear. Ladies and gentlemen, we have our Jerusalem. You say, oh, pastor, I've been witnessing to my unsaved loved ones. I've been witnessing to my friends. Keep witnessing. Keep sharing the gospel. Get some, get some of these Easter cards. And share them. Just pass them out. I feel this year more than ever, there's a mandate upon us to reach our Jerusalem. We didn't just want to gear up for one crusade and then go back to business as usual. Come on, every day, every morning we wake up and the Lord opens up these eyes of ours and we've got breath in our lungs. Lord, who can I talk to today? Who can I witness to today? When you receive that little communion cup, if you'll just wait, we'll receive it all together. There's a little wafer that's on top and then there's a juice that's on the bottom. And when you pull back the one cellophane, it reveals the wafer. And then as you pull the foil back, it reveals the juice. But I'm going to ask you to wait. Then we'll receive it all together. And I want us to pray. And as we pray together right now and receive this communion, and we remember back to the great price that Jesus paid for our, for our freedom, freedom from sin. I want us to do what the Lord tells us to do, and that is to sort of turn the spotlight of God's word on our own heart, to be introspective and say, God, if there be anything in my spirit, there be some kind of fear or unbelief, if there's anything in my heart that doesn't belong there, Lord, I'm asking you to take it out because we don't want to receive this unworthily as the Bible describes it, but we want to be cognizant of the fact that Jesus Christ will come right now as we partake of this, as he instructed us to do, and he will wrap his arms of love around you. And regardless of what you're going through, you can begin to feel the presence of God. He will strengthen you. He will strengthen you. Would you lift up your hands and would you pray right now, Lord, we're so thankful, God, that you paid the price, the ultimate price. We're so thankful, Lord, that you robed yourself in flesh and came to this earth as the Son of God and the Son of Man. And you went to that cross willingly, Lord. You died for our sins. You rose again on the third day, victorious. And you told us, Lord, as you did your followers, that they should receive this in remembrance of you. Once again, Lord, we're reminded not only of the sacrifice that you paid, but the great burden that you had for your people. Give us that same burden, O oh God. Cleanse our heart and mind of anything in this world that would taint us from being the follower and the believer that you have called us to be. Take away our love for possessions, our love for positions. Oh God, let it all be removed so that we can focus on people 
that we can focus on praise, that we can exalt you above everything else. As we receive this, O oh God, we worship you with our hands, with our hearts, with our lifestyle, and everything that you have put in our possession. We worship you with it, O oh God, and we glorify you, for you are the mighty God in Christ. In Jesus' name, we receive this communion. Let's receive it right now in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we worship you, Lord. Oh, we glorify you, Lord. Oh, would you lift your voice and praise him right now? Hosanna, Hosanna. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. You are great and greatly to be praised. There is none like unto you, O Lord. We worship the name of Jesus. We lift you up on high, O Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. How he picked me up. Turn me around how he placed my feet, placed my feet on solid ground. On solid ground. Oh, it makes me want to shout, shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy. Lord, you're worthy. You're worthy. When I think about the Lord, when I think about Him, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how He picked me up and turned me around. How he placed, placed my, my feet, feet on solid ground. On solid ground. Oh, it makes when I think about it, shout. makes me want to shout. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all of the glory. Come on, all over the building. And all of the honor and all of the praise. Come on, let there be some praise from God's it people. Makes me want to shout. We shout unto you.
you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all of the glory and all of the honor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Of all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the praise, it makes me want to shout. Lord, we're so thankful for your presence that we feel today. We're so thankful, God, that once again you have reminded us that we're not alone, that you're just as close as the mention of your name. That even as you suffered and died, you rose again, and we celebrate. Hallelujah. That you're a God that is a risen Savior. Lord, we receive and we accept the burden to be witnesses, Lord. You have filled us with your spirit. You have kept your end of the bargain. Now, Lord, we will keep our end of the bargain and be witnesses for you to our Jerusalem. And I pray, God, that now as we are dismissed, that you would go with us you would wrap your arms of love around each and every family, every home. Heal the brokenhearted. Cause your people to walk in victory in praise and thanksgiving all the days of our life. And we will be careful to remember you and to remember Calvary in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.